Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning on this beautiful day in the Colorado Rockies. You know, usually this time of the year, I'm thinking about taking my ice fishing gear out, but now I'm thinking about open water fishing, and we're going to talk about both today, some ice fishing and some open water. We're going to take you out to Blue Mesa, both in the first hour and the second hour, for some things that are going on there and for a conditions update. We're going to talk some hunting. Uh, just going to cover a lot, a lot of ground today. And uh, But one thing I want to talk about really quickly before we get to our first guest, and that's um, my YouTube channel and Facebook. If you follow us on Facebook, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, you'll notice that a lot of times I'm relating something coming up on the show to one of my YouTube videos. Uh, Karen and I did 22 seasons of television, and there's about 130 episodes of that on YouTube right now, and we keep adding to that. Uh, so, like, at the second hour, Lake John is going to come on and talk about their, their ice fishing rentals and the conditions up there. So in conjunction with that, this week when I said they're coming on on Facebook, I put I put a link to the YouTube channel so you could go look at what we're talking about. We're going to try to incorporate that more, but either way, you should follow us on Facebook. We do a lot of things about what's going on in this show on Facebook, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. We're going to start getting some more trivia. We're going to get some prizes and start doing trivia questions where the answers will be posted there. And if you love to watch videos of where you're going before you fish, Go to my YouTube channel, Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. About half the shows are filmed right here in your backyard. The other half we traveled from the Arctic Circle to the equator and across the country. So there's a lot of good information there. But speaking of good information, let's go right to the phones. And this gentleman, who's an incredibly avid outdoorsman, is always full of great information. He's the editor of Trout Magazine. He's an editor-at-large for Field and Stream Magazine, Kirk Dieter. Good morning, Kirk. Good morning, Terry. How are you today? I am doing great. Now, the one thing when I said you're an incredibly avid, accomplished outdoorsman, I didn't bring up golf because I don't consider. You know what? I'm, you, did I ever tell you what my feelings? I know you play a lot of golf. Did I ever tell you I what did. my feelings were on golf? Uh, well, no, but I, I'm, I'm interested. Uh, I love golf. It keeps you unworthy off the water. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think. I've always said that fly fishing and golf were the same sport. One played wet and one played dry, but I played golf wet too. Yeah, that, that could very well be. Hey, let's. Uh, we want to talk about a number of things coming up. We're going to talk about an article coming up in Trout Magazine pretty soon that I'm pretty uh, interested in seeing. But before that, you are an avid hunter, bird hunter. You were out doing some goose hunting. Now, I think goose season, if I'm not mistaken, runs till about the 16th of February in the eastern part of the state, which would be the Rocky Mountain or the Midwest fly zone. But the Pacific fly zone on the other side of the state, I think it might have ended. But uh, there's still a lot of great goose hunting going on, isn't there? That's right. I was out last week um, out on the eastern plains, and it was, you know, there were a lot of geese flying around. They're smarter now. Some of the resident geese or some of the ones that have been here a while uh, are wary, but um, went hunting with John Hagen, who's an old friend and, and just a great guide, one of the best callers I know. And 
the the key with him is he's also really good at setting out decoys and patterns. So, you know, playing the wind and knowing how to make something visually appealing from a pie. I think that's really the game right now. But we had a lot of we had a lot of geese. Um we all limited out. We we um and two thirds of the geese that we shot were the graders, so the big honkers are are definitely in the area. Yeah, and I think we should be if you know what you're doing, you're right, they get a little educated by this time of the year. But I think somebody who knows what they're doing uh, would be able to do really well yet through the end of the season. And, of course, then we start up after that with the con- conservation and white goose season, which is a totally different approach. But um, there is some public land. There are blinds. There are duck and, and goose hunting areas that Parks and Wildlife sets aside. But there's a lot of private land. Sometimes you can ask, but a lot of times, you know, it's, it, if you're not used to hunting geese on the eastern plains, there's a lot of great guides. If you hook up with one, it can make all the difference while you're learning, doesn't it? It does. And you learn, a lot, like you said, you learn a lot from the guides about the subtleties, about just where you make your landing zones, uh, how you pattern the decoys, um, you know, just the call, when to call, when not to call, when to flag. Uh, lots of subtle things go into the game, and it's it's really, really a lot of fun, really re- rewarding Probably one of my favorite types of hunting, for sure, is late-season goose hunting. Yeah, and, you know, all of the calling sports, whether it's the waterfall, uh, turkeys, elk, anytime you're interacting with the animal, it just adds a whole nother level to the enjoyment and the satisfaction of that type of activity, doesn't it? Oh, for sure, and the geese are especially so because, I mean, you can see a big uh, flock, or a single or whatever, but they can be a quarter mile or a half mile away and you start talking to them and they're, they're going to come down. And uh, especially if you've got the right pattern of the decoys in the field in front of you in a good field of vision. Um, you know, the other thing about going with a guide is not all of us have 250 decoys to put out, but uh, commercial guys, they're, they're able to do that. And those big spreads really, really matter a lot right now. Uh, later in the season when the geese are wary and the food is a little bit more limited, blah, blah, blah. Um, they want to be where there's a lot of geese and they think that there's a lot of action food-wise going. And so the only way to express that to the geese is through a lot of decoys. Oh, it really is. It's, uh, it's a, you know, each each one of these sports. You know, I, I say this about fly fishing, conventional fishing, certain types of hunting, that, you know, a lot of this stuff you can dabble in and you can have fun. But if you want to take the step where you really get into it and start learning the nuances, spend a couple trips with guides, no matter what your activity is. And you're, you're so right. The little things that you'll learn that you'll pick up. I was so fortunate over the years. A lot of uh, guides were guests on my television show and what you pick up just sharing a boat or sharing a river with these guys is just incredible. It is. And you know, I've always said that the measure of a good day fishing or hunting with a guide is not how much you catch or shoot or whatever. It's how much you learn. And the best guides understand that. So I, some of my best days of fishing with a guide or when I was guiding myself, I would try to make sure that someone left the river at the end of the day a better angler. That's the, the mission. So, so like I was about to say, that some of my best days with guides have been days where I've caught one or two fish, but I learned how to – uh, curve cast, or I learned how to steeple cast, or I learned how to do something subtle and different that has improved my game. And by paying attention and keeping notes, you just build this arsenal as you go. 
and uh, you know now it's I look at it as my opportunity to pay it forward and and to share some of these tips with other people and and do that in the writing that I do now and that that's kind of the most fun of all. Yeah, I must have known it all already because they said they couldn't teach me anything. So, but, <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah. I want I want to move on while we still have time because Trout sure. Magazine is coming out. You're the um, editor of Trout Magazine, and, and Trout Magazine is one of the benefits of being a member of Trout Unlimited. And there's an article coming out about winter bugs. And you and I have talked over the years about, you know, there's I know a lot of fly fishermen hunker down in the winter and tie flies, and that's great. But with the nice days we get in Colorado and the tailwaters we have, there is no reason to put those fly rods away in the winter, is there? No. In fact, now's the time when you can really learn a lot and hone your A-game. The, the fish uh, are definitely more sluggish. They're cold-blooded. They don't like it any more than you or I do sitting out in the cold. Uh, they know that. Although some of the some of the tailwaters, the water temperatures are pretty steady. So we have that opportunity in Colorado to find places where the water is released from the bottom of a dam, and the, and the temperatures are almost the same now as they are in August. So the fish are active in places like Cheeseman Canyon or on the Arkansas down below uh, the reservoir in Pueblo and, and so on and so forth. So we have a mix and match. But even some of our freestone streams um, – they produce, and the fish, while they might be a little bit more sluggish, they're not totally asleep, and they do have to eat. And there are bugs that you can use, little flies, specifically like little black stone flies and um, early brown stone flies, little variations like that. Um, the article that you're talking about is about these winter adaptations, and it's written by Robert the Bug, the bug Guy uh, Younghands, and, and he's – been a regular contributor to Trout Magazine, and he's got really cool insights on these bugs and how to get fish to eat them and so on and so forth. I'm really enjoying the, the this series and these stories because I learn something from Robert every time he writes for us. Well, one of the things you said, a lot of these bugs have almost like a built-in antifreeze, and knowing which bugs those are, it makes it easier for you to pick your presentation. Yeah, that's right. They've got, they've adapted. Robert tells me that the the they have the chemicals and proteins in their body that is like an antifreeze, and and these are the these some of these smaller midges and some of the and you know the invertebrates and and the stone they're they're made to live in winter, and so uh, they you know the, this is the fish know that these are the bugs that are active. You don't see the giant grasshoppers obviously flying around and jumping in the river now because. Yeah, you know, there's a foot of snow on the banks of most rivers that we have, and uh, but the the these smaller bugs are a great source of protein. And I would go almost, I would not go winter fishing right now if I didn't have a whole bunch of little black snow stone flies, little brown stone flies, and little black midges. And sometimes it's even like size 20 or smaller, but uh, that's what they're eating. And and if you can focus on that, and then because the fish don't move so much you got to be accurate with your casting, and you have to be perfect with your presentation. And so if you can get a fish to eat now, you've done well, and you'll be ready for spring and summer. Yeah, you're absolutely right, because their strike zone is really shrunk down. They're not going to chase up like they might a big grasshopper that's going by three, four feet away. They're going to look for something that comes right into their feeding lane, and you do have to be better. Now, I personally love the fact that we usually fish these under indicators because – 
I couldn't see those bugs when they're in my hand at that size, much less out in the river. So, but yeah, it, for sure. But but you know the the fact that I've run in the Big Thompson is one I've fished off and on in the winter because it's close to my home, and uh, it is a bit of a tailwater because we do have the Estes Dam. But you get down a little bit, it acts almost more freestone. But um, I found those fish to be holed up in holes where. You couldn't, uh, I could sit there and I probably could have caught as many fish as I wanted out of one spot once I dialed it in because there were so many fish there that catching one out of there didn't necessarily spook them because there were so many. As long as I made a good presentation, the only reason I moved was to try different areas. Have you run into that? Yeah, I have. And, and it, there are a couple of theories as to why that is, you know, the, one of the pluses of winter and cold water is that the oxygen levels are good, and the fish like that. So it's more oxygenated water. And then they'll find the spots where there are pockets of these bugs that I'm talking about, like the smaller black stoneflies, and the fish know where they're, they're going to be, where the buffet is, so to speak. So they, they gather up in these spots, and you can definitely pick them off one at a time, and um, it's good to move around and rest the, the runs a little bit, but you don't, in the wintertime, um, you know, you don't really have to move all that much. Well, you know, the other thing I want to, I know we want to get talk about some new products too, but the other thing, when doing this kind of fishing, one thing I learned from uh, Kirk Bean up at Kirk's Fly Shop in Estes, he likes to take these small flies and use one with a weighted bead head, bead head as his weight to get down, because we're not talking about heavy flows, instead of adding a weight, he thinks adding that weight is that anything you can do to make the presentation more natural helps you be successful. And I think that's really true. I think so, too. And Kirk's really smart about that stuff. So I, I definitely trust his judgment on that. Well, let's not give him too big a head, you know. I mean, but he's, he, uh, he's, he's a great name. Yeah, he is a great guy, though. He is super. He's a great guy to learn from. Hey, before we run out of time, by the way, if you want to see that article on bugs, just join Trout Unlimited and get the magazine. I get my issue. Uh, it'll be coming pretty soon. It's always great. You get John Garrick. You get things like the article from the Bug Man. There's just a lot of great stuff, isn't there, Kirk? Yeah, and, and, and of course, you know, at the end of the day, the money – uh, being part of Trout Unlimited helps us fix rivers and make fishing better. Uh, you're absolutely right. But let's take this last maybe minute. We're going to be a little over, but I'll make it up later on the show. Uh, you said there was some new equipment out there you're kind of excited about. Tell me about it. Yeah, there's a couple of things that I did take a notice. And, and uh, one of them is people are always looking for a fly rod that doesn't cost an arm and a leg. And a new company called Moonshine Rods, uh, moonshinerods.com. They're putting out a drifter fly rod, $199. It has a life. It does have a warranty, but it also comes with an extra tip, and it's got a good action. It's worth checking those guys out. And then I saw a headlamp that I really like too. It's called the BioLite 200, and it's 200 lumens. But the amazing thing is that it's um, only 1.7 ounces. You do not know that it's on your head. And then lastly, Claymore is a new company that's making also headlamps. And for brightness, uh, it's shockingly bright. They have a, 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 a headlamp from Claymore that's 600 lumens. And, Terry, that's like 600 candles. It's incredible. Yeah, it's just, it's just fantastic. Kirk, if people want more information on what you're doing and your magazines and stuff, well, where do they go? Please just come to, you know, tu.org, Trout Unlimited, 
and and or go to anglingtrade.com and you can find my email contacts in both those places and I'm happy to chat and answer questions or do whatever I can. All right, my friend, we need to get on the water this summer. Let's plan on it. All I'm right. On, I'm all ready. We'll get you in the studio pretty soon and talk fly fishing for an hour or two. That'll be good too. So thank you, my friend. I'm Thanks game. for joining us. Thank you, sir. Have a good day. You bet. We're going to take a quick time out. We come back. We're going to talk to the biologist from Blue Mesa Reservoir. And there's a lot going on there. And we're going to have an opportunity for you to make some money. We'll tell you about that on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We're going to go right to the phones because I want to spend some time on this subject. We're joined by Dan Brow from, the, he's the biologist out at Blue Mesa Reservoir, largest reservoir in the state and one of our premier fisheries. And we're going to talk about an event that he's holding out there, or I guess it's more of a program, and the state of that fishery. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Terry. Great to be with you. Good. Is it sunny out there? I mean, you guys have been getting quite a bit of snow. We have bluebird skies and 50-some degrees. That's probably not the case at Blue Mesa Reservoir. Well, it's pretty nice out here this morning, uh, nice and sunny. And, yeah, we have been getting good snow, though, and uh, working on uh, building some ice on Blue Mesa Reservoir for ice fishing. Well, yeah, next hour we're actually going to be joined by a guide you're very familiar with, Andy Cochran, and we're going to talk pretty much about those ice fishing conditions and get a few tips on how to catch those fish. But whether it's through the ice or open water, um, you're going to start a program pretty uh, fairly shortly uh, an incentive to harvest some more lake trout. But before we get into the program, why don't you kind of bring us up in, to speed? Because one time, Blue Mesa had these huge, huge lake trout. It still does, maybe not quite the same numbers. And is also one of the most uh, renowned kokanee fisheries in the area. And we had some issues, and maybe the lake trout grew a little too much. So kind of take us through the, what's happened and where we're at. All right, sounds great. Yeah, we've we've managed Blue Mesa for a long time to... Uh, be really the state's premier kokanee fishery uh, to provide opportunities for fishing for kokanee uh, and really is a big draw in the summertime period uh, for folks that want to uh, come to Blue Mesa and catch and keep kokanee. It also does serve as our primary egg take for kokanee in the state. So we are able to stock up to 26 waters in the state with kokanee. So we really depend on that for statewide uh, the statewide kokanee program. Uh, however, what we have seen is that since the mid-1990s, uh, we saw increased predation from lake trout, and that really occurred after the lake trout population became established uh, and became much more successful reproducing naturally within the reservoir. And so we saw, th- saw that population grow considerably from that time on and put quite a bit of pressure on kokanee. Now, with that being said, you still want, excuse me, to manage Blue Mesa with the idea that it will produce trophy lake trout, and you still want lake trout fishing to be part of what the the activities are there, but it's out of balance right now. There's just too many small lake trout especially, and they compete with the kokanee, and, uh, and they also stunt the growth, and we don't get as many of the big fish. And you tried some other some other means to try to balance. How did that go? Yeah, absolutely. We Early on, we did liberalize bag limits for lake trout so that the anglers were able to harvest more lake trout, but we saw the lake trout population continue to climb. So in 2009, we 
uh, work to supplement angler harvest by doing fall removal work where we're out using gill nets to remove and target removal of small lake trout. Uh, that work early on did focus on really trying to curb lake trout population growth and to get us in better shape and improve survival of kokanee. Uh, as time went on, we did shift to trying to have a more balanced approach and to manage for both trophy lake trout and for kokanee. And that was really guided by research uh, that CSU helped us with to really give us uh, to figure out how we could best improve uh, kokanee recovery and really was focused on small lake trout that are the most numerous and had the greatest impact on that kokanee survival. Yeah, if you were to assess the lake trout fishery there right now, you'd probably say there aren't quite as many trophy fishery, fish in there, but there's still numbers of big, healthy fish but there's an overabundance of the small fish. What would you say in the 15, 12 to 24 inch range, something like that? Yeah, absolutely. Right now we see a lot of lake trout uh, around 20 inches and smaller. Uh, that's really where the greatest number is and, and the best opportunity for coming and harvesting small lake trout. So, Yeah, and with that, so you want to program, and, and you and I talked before, and, and you felt the netting wasn't maybe as effective and it also maybe wasn't as acceptable to anglers. And so you came up with a program to really have the anglers help you reduce those small lake trout, didn't you? Yeah, and uh, generally with, with the fall removal work, we're removing about 1,200 lake trout uh, per year, and anglers are harvesting about 6,000. So we did see that we were able to stop the lake trout population growth. So we were, you know, the combination of harvest and our netting work did stop that population growth. But what we saw was an opportunity to replace what we were doing with the fall netting with increased angler harvest and came up with an idea for uh, doing that by involving anglers more in the management of Blue Mesa. And this was really, it really started with some uh, input from fishermen at Blue Mesa at one of our sportsmen's roundtable meetings about a year and a half ago. So the plan is to get anglers involved and to give them a chance to win some money. So why don't you outline the program for us? Tell us how it's going to work and what the time periods are. Okay. Yes, we plan to run our fishing tournament from February 1st through the end of July. And uh, we're really encouraging people to participate and harvest small lake trout. And uh, we are focusing on lake trout 24 inches and smaller because we are really trying to maintain trophy opportunity and want to, want to see anglers release large fish to maintain that opportunity. So focusing this tournament on uh, fish 24 inches and smaller, uh, we're trying to encourage that harvest by having three, three types of awards. We did tag lake trout within Blue Mesa, and so if you catch a tagged lake trout, uh, you'll receive $250. Uh, if you, uh, every, for every, what we're, what we're asking anglers to do is turn in lake trout heads, not whole lake trout. We want uh, folks to go ahead and fillet fish and take care of those fish for consumption, but then turn in the heads to participate in the contest. Uh, we will have three freezers set up at Blue Mesa Reservoir, at Elk Creek, at the Iola Boat Ramp, and at the Lake Fork Marina. And so folks will be able to bag fish, fill out a tag, uh, and drop those in a freezer. And uh, we'll also, Go ahead. Yeah, we'll also have two other freezers at the Gunnison and Montrose Colorado Parks and Wildlife Office. 
Now, what happens is now these tag fish, let's get back to that for a minute. They won't know they have a tag fish because it's kind of an invisible wire tag. Is that right? It is. It's a tag that we can run a scanner over. Um, it is embedded in the in the head of the fish, so so we're able to scan fish for those tags and then verify that it's one of our tags. And, so in, addi- in addition well, to those tagged fish, we also, for every head that's turned in, uh, we have 20 $200 randomly picked prizes. So for every head you turn in, you get a chance at one of those prizes. And then also uh, want to provide three prizes for anglers that turn in the most heads. Uh, so first place, they'd receive $1,000. Second place would receive $500. And then third place would receive $250. And this is going to start in February, right? Yeah, starting here real soon, February 1st. And so you could catch them through the ice. And the most fish is accumulative. It's not like the most fish in one day. It goes till the end of July. So if you go fishing there six times, you're going to add up the number of fish you catch on those six trips, right? Absolutely, yep. Yeah, and so what we're doing is you're involving the anglers to help balance the lake, but at the same time letting them take advantage of what right now, because there's an overabundance of those small fish, what is a tremendous angling opportunity. And by the way, those small fish are the most tasty. They're the best to eat. The, you know, and, and it's always good to let big fish go, keep those genetics in the lake. It takes a long time to grow a big lake trout. And then at the same time, you get a little bit of competitiveness and a little bit of, uh, a little bit of fun involved and maybe make a little bit of money. Um, what, about, what are size limits and bag limits on lake trout at Blue Mesa? So right now, uh, the regulation in place allows unlimited harvest of lake trout under 32 inches. And that 32 inches is really meant to define the trophy uh, size of lake trout. So uh, generally, 32 inches and larger is really a trophy lake trout. Are you there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so did so you say one over 32? I got distracted from Yeah. That. And so uh, you can only harvest one lake trout over 32 inches. And we really tell you, take those, take a picture, put those 32 and bigger back in the lake. They're not that good to eat. And if you want something mounted, the replicas nowadays are so incredible. What do you think the status of the lake trout? By the way, I know Michelle Siebert is listening. And, Michelle, we're going to give you plenty of time, I promise. So hang in there. But um, what do you think the status of big lake trout is in the lake right now? Well, certainly talking to anglers, um, there's impression there are fewer large lake trout. But what we have noticed is that, uh, if we can improve the number of kokanee as compared to lake trout, we tend to see more trophy lake trout harvested, and we would expect to see improved growth of trophy lake trout and better condition of lake trout. So we're really trying to get to the position that we're maximizing our ability to grow those large fish by creating some better balance within the reservoir. Well, and, you know, even though there's lesser numbers, I think – the opportunity is still there that at any time you could catch a 30, a 20, or even a 40-pound lake trout, don't you? Absolutely. We still see a good number of large lake trout uh, when we're sampling at Blue Mesa. And we get those kokanee back up. What is the status of kokanee? How are we doing with that? We have seen improved uh, kokanee abundance in Blue Mesa, and so we are in better shape than we were when we really saw things bottom out around 2009. So we are in better shape. Uh, we do see good kokanee numbers moving into 2020, so we'd expect fishing for kokanee to be pretty good this coming year. 
All right, I was going to talk to you about the brown trout, but we're way over time. We'll have to do that another time. But if people want more information on the contest, where do they find it? We do have the information on the Colorado Parks and Wildlife website. Uh, all the information on the tournament is available on our website. So it uh, can also be reached at the Gunnison office, uh, and the, the phone number there is 970-641-7060. All right. Dan, thank you so much for joining us. Sounds like a great opportunity to catch some fish, take a few home to eat, and help the management of the lake. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Terry. You bet. That's uh, Dan Brow from Parks and Wildlife. Um, by the way, I mentioned earlier, Andy Cochran from Blue Mesa Guide is going to join us in the second hour, and he might give you a, point, a few pointers on how to get out and get started earning some of that money. We'll take a quick time out. We come back. Michelle Siebert is going to join us from Bar Lake and tell us about dozens of eagles you can go out there and see on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We are going right to the phones. We're going to be joined by one of our favorite people from Parks and Wildlife. If you're having a bad day, just call Michelle Siebert and have a conversation because I'll guarantee you, you'll be feeling smiley and happy when you get done. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Terry. How are you today? Good. You just have such a bubbly, enthusiastic, and I will say this, and I, I know I tell you this privately, so I'm not trying to embarrass you, but the way you take care of people and the way you promote your park and the activities you have going on, you're such an asset so close to the metropolitan area here. I hope more and more people start taking advantage of that. Well, thank you, Terry. It's it's great to get people outdoors and, and enjoying Bar Lake, so it's a pleasure. Well, you got something special coming up again there in, uh, I think, February 1st, maybe it is? Yes. Yeah, so February 1st, we have our Bald Eagle Festival. So we celebrate this because a lot of bald eagles, will they migrate, and they will be wintering here at Bar Lake. So just for instance, three weeks ago, our volunteer raptor monitors were out, and they counted 81 bald eagles. So, you know, they're great fishermen. So people always joke with people ask about how the fishing is. Well, it's really good for eagles right about now. Uh, you're absolutely right. We'll talk more about the event in a minute. Let's talk a little bit about the park. Tell people where it's located. I mean, it's so close, yet I think some people don't realize how easy it is to get to. Yeah, so we're just 25 minutes east of Denver. We're off of I-76 in Bromley in Brighton, Colorado. So we're just a quick day trip from Denver, from the north, from the south. You know, we're just right outside Denver. Well, you know, if you take Tower Road and go north till it comes to a T, take a right and then take the next left, you're there. And it, it doesn't yeah. take very long because I know people are so close to it when they go to the airport and stuff and don't realize it. Now, for the most part, it's a, <clears throat> a day-use park. You have uh, fishing, picnic facilities. Tell us a little bit about what we would see out there. Yeah, so we do have a nature center, which is a great place to start. We have lots of exhibits. The whole southern end is a wildlife refuge, so it's protected um, where you can't fish, hunt, or have your dog. But what's great is the whole northern part, you can fish, you can boat 10 horsepower and under, you can have your dog. And we even have waterfowl hunting on the north part back behind the dam on Wednesday and Saturdays. So we really do offer a lot of great variety of activities. We also have an archery range. Our standing range is open um, year round. So just, you can come out, go birding, take a hike, do archery, lots of stuff. 
Oh, and it's so close and so great. It, uh, what what species of fish are commonly caught at Bar Lake? So we have walleye, we have wiper, we have perch, we have trout. You know, it's just a really great fishery. And what people don't sometimes realize is that Bar Lake is 2,000 surface acres when we're full. So we're bigger than Cherry Creek or Chatfield. So, you know, you can bring your boat out 10 horsepower and under. But if you have a bigger boat with a bigger motor, but you have an electric or a kicker, you can come out. Just don't use your big motor. Now, I want to ask you a quick question. Um, I know you cap over occasionally, then it melts. What is the status of the ice right now? Is there some open water or is it pretty much capped? So there is some open water um, in the southern end, um, which is good white by our bald eagle's nest. But we just capped over on Monday. So the ice is not safe um, to go out on. It's very, It's been near the shore, too. So, you know, we've had an unusual um, ice season. You know, usually in December, you know, we'll cap over and have some ice fishermen. But we really haven't had any ice fishermen yet um, just because of the ice. Um, just capped over this week. So, Well, well something I'm going to get into a little bit later in the show, and that's the fact that up and down the Front Range, uh, the ice has been questionable, and there hasn't been nearly the pressure there would be in a normal winter. And a lot of these lakes, <clears throat> and I would assume Bar Lake is one of them, get stocked fairly heavily in the fall to support both the ice fishing and to give some growth for spring fishing. And I think... The ice, even at, you just said you cap, but it's going to be 57 degrees today. We get a little breeze. We're going to start seeing expanses of open water by shore probably pretty soon. And when we do, those trout are going to be the first fish to move to that warmer water, even though it's still cold. For a trout, it's not bad. And the bug activity and the life in the lake will come to life uh, right by that shoreline. And people are going to be able to, I think, harvest trout in all the Front Range lakes uh, pretty easily as soon as we get some open water expanses. Do you anticipate that happening there? We do, you know, and we also fill in the wintertime. So we're not filling right now, but probably another couple of weeks we'll be getting water in from the South Platte River. So, uh, you know, we think that, you know, we will have open water typically by the end of February. Um, we do have a lot of open water, so it'll be great to come out and, and shore fish probably in a couple weeks, maybe even a week if we get some wind. So Right, and you do get stocked pretty good a spring and fall, mm-hmm. right, with trout? Yes, and, we did. And, yes, and, we did. And then you get the perch that come in and out, which are great when they're going on and other panfish. And, uh, you know, even the walleyes and stuff will be shallow. So what a great place to go and do some uh, early season open water fishing because I'm going to say something sacrilegious because I'm an avid ice fisherman, but with the changing weather we had, I'm ready to get my long rods out. I'm ready for open water. Let's talk a little <laughs> more about your event. In addition to coming to see the Eagles on February 1st, will you have other things going on? Yes. Yeah, so on February 1st, it's our Bald Eagle Festival, and it'll be from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. We'll have shuttles that will take people out to our gazebo boardwalk where you can see our bald eagle's nest. And also the eagles that like to sit on the ice will have a face painter, craft, a live bald eagle presentation by Nature's Educators at 12, 1230 and 1. We'll have lots of staff and volunteers around to guide you, tell you about the park. Just a great, um, you know, day to come out and explore, go on a nature hike. We have a, a great new, it's like a video game called Agents of Discovery. And you can download the app and then you play like the game on the trail. So it's wonderful to 
use your phone and learn about the park. Um, but it's just going to be a great time. And I just looked at my phone and they say it's going to be 60 degrees. So it's going to be a great day in, you know, Colorado to be outside. Well, that Agents of Discovery, is, it's kind of like um, Pokemon Go in a way, isn't it? It is. You know, it's really fun. You you know, you download it, and then after that, you don't need Wi-Fi connection. But you play the game. There's a mission. We have two missions. And then throughout the missions, you have challenges. And then the challenges tell you about the park, about wildlife. And it's just super fun. It's for kids and adults. Yeah, well, I'm usually a kid when I'm playing a game like that. So it just, <laughs> it just is, it is, it is a lot of fun. I did, you know, your shuttles, are they going to be golf carts you're taking people back and forth in? Yeah, we have three golf carts. And it's fun because they all have raptor names, the eagle, the osprey, and the owl. So they're all golf carts, and they'll, take, they'll start at the Nature Center and then take people to the gazebo boardwalk, which is about 1.3 miles. So for people that can't quite make that walk, um, we'll have shuttles available for them. Finally, a good use for golf carts. But <laughs> some people actually use them to try to play golf. Do you believe that? Right. I, I don't know if you were, you probably weren't listening at the beginning of the show, but Kirk Dieter, who's a great friend of mine, he's an editor of Trout Magazine, and he also uh-huh. is a editor at large for Field and Stream, an avid outdoorsman, but he loves golf too. And I told him I love uh-huh. golf because it keeps the unworthy off the water. <laughs> oh. <laughs> hey. I just like to drive the cart. Yeah. <laughs> hey, um, is there information on all this on your website or Facebook page? Yeah, so they can go to our website and our Facebook. Um, it's all on there, so they can check out all our activities that we have coming up. And there's no additional charge or registration necessary, is that right? There, There is not. You know, we've expanded our times for the shuttle and for the Live Bald Eagle um, presentations to accommodate more people. So you don't need a reservation. Just come early. There is not an extra charge. So you have your annual pass or buy an $8 daily park pass and, you know, it's free. So there's not a lot of places that you can go and enjoy all this outdoor activity for $8. And eagles, I mean, they were so threatened not that long ago. And to see the abundance of them, what a majestic creature. They are so incredible and fun to look at. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. Have a great day. You bet. That's Michelle Sievert from Bar Lake. That is a great facility, so close to the metro area here. Um, I've gone there both in a boat and from shore and fished it. You can be quite successful. Now, fishing is fishing. What's going on at that period of the you know the year and what's going on weather-wise can all affect that. But there is some phenomenal fishing. J.R. from Colorado Clays, who's going to be on later this hour, Goes out there quite often and gets wipers and walleyes. So maybe we'll pry a tip or two out of him when he comes on later. We'll take a quick time out on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. I want to pass on some news. Um, Karen just informed me, Bill Dance posted this, by the way, that a legend, uh, a giant in the fishing industry has passed away today. The founder of Ranger Boats, Forrest Wood. Now, I've been fortunate enough to have been involved in the fishing industry for many, many decades. And I can't even begin to tell you the impact that Forrest and Ranger Boats had on uh, tournament fishing, bass fishing, the boating industry. Um, The FLW tournaments were named after him, Forrest L. Wood. He is just a tremendous. I have some stories that I don't have time to share on the air right now. But what a quality guy and some stories when I got to interact with him many, many, many years ago. I actually ran one of the Ranger boats in the 70s. Um, they've come a long way since then, 
my friends, but they are just tough. But uh, fishing industry, you know, Forrest was approaching 90 years old. He's been ill for a while, but it's still a loss. And something, uh, the impact that he had on the angling industry was uh, felt by everybody who goes fishing. So our, our condolences to the family and, and uh, Forrest, uh, you had a great life. Uh, thank you for everything you've given us. Hey, I want to change up, talk a little bit about... Um, I mentioned to Michelle fishing the trout from shore. And this this is just a great opportunity that uh, is going to come sooner this year than normal and I think be better than it normally is. Uh, because the what's going to happen, we've had on and off again ice fishing conditions, as we all know. If you're an avid ice fisherman, you've seen we've had uh, ice and we've had open water. Then we've had ice. And we've had ice by shore, but, uh, but the, uh, the center was open. It just wasn't safe to fish. And what this means is, even though there's been a few um, anglers out there braving the conditions, the fish haven't got pressured very much. And most of the lakes up and down the fresh front range are heavily stocked with trout in the fall and then again in the spring. The fall stocking is to help with the ice fishing, but also to give some growth so there's some bigger holdover fish come spring. And then they supplement that with more stocking. Well, those fish haven't had the normal pressure that they get during an ice fishing season. So I think we're going to see a lot of active, aggressive, cooperative trout up and down the Front Range of Colorado as this ice recedes. So as your favorite pond or lake, as the ice recedes and you get open water, you know, go back and check the stocking report, see which ones were stocked last fall, and see which ones are planning to be stocked this year. Sometimes they even stock them while there's ice on them. And get out there, and you, it's just going to be basic fishing. You know, you can take some power bait or a small jig and fish it right off the open water, or you can take little crankbaits. I've even gone where I've thrown a jig out on the ice because it isn't, it's still not more than a cast away, and then slowly pulled it off the edge and dropped it into the water, and it's phenomenal. But you should be able to catch a bunch of fish and have some fun right from shore. I know a lot of people are getting cabin fever with this warmer weather. So that's coming up, and it's going to be something we can take advantage of it. So get out and do that. You know, a little spinner, a little basic bait. This is just hook, line, and sinker fishing, and it's really easy to do, and you should catch some fish. Just check those reports and watch for um, swaths of open water. And speaking of fishing those little spinners, Um, In a couple weeks, Karen's going to post a show where I was actually fishing with those little spinners for trout, just that real basic fishing. And if you don't follow uh, our Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, I tend to refer back to our YouTube channel on Facebook when we're talking about techniques or when we're having a guest on that's going to talk about a particular activity. If you're not familiar with our YouTube channel, we did 22 seasons of television here. And we, uh, it was, we did Mountain States Fishing, which mostly was filmed right in our backyard here, and Angling Adventures, where we traveled from the Arctic Circle to the equator. So the shows are split about half and half. So there'll be a travel show there, but then there'll be a show at a lake like Lawn Hagler, where we're fishing out of a boat with a spinner, or uh, North Michigan Reservoir, where we're using little spinners from shore. shore. Now, both these shows are going to be put up in the next month to six weeks, and Karen will will post on our Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, when they're there. The other reason to follow us on Facebook is if you were, you'd know that we were going to have uh, Lake John on and talk about their ice fishing tournament later on this uh, next hour. 
that was posted there. And we're going to start doing more trivia. A lot of times we do trivia questions, and we get some pretty good prizes to give away. We usually post the answer. We call it 20 Years Plus of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors Trivia. Karen comes up with a, a statement about a trivia that went on, and we use that as our question. It's also, if there's been a great interview or something really timely in one of the podcasts from the radio show, I'll post a link to that on our Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. So follow us on Facebook, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. And you know what? If you have Comcast, push the microphone button and go Terry Wicks, the best of fishing with Terry Wickstrom YouTube and about 130 episodes will come up. Check us out. See what you think. We'll take a quick time out. Matt Ensley from Tight Lines Outdoors will join us on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.